love this podcast, support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening and enjoy. All right, cool. Let's see. The Oscars. The nominations just recently came out. And we covered three films that were remakes, reboots, or revivals. Actually, we covered three? We covered three. Nightmare Alley, West Side Story, Dune. But Oh, right. Yeah. There's actually a fourth. Whoa. And so there are four film remakes, reboots, or revivals, mostly remakes, that are nominated for the Academy Awards. So we couldn't leave this last one out, guys, because it's actually uh, it's a bit of a sleeper. And this week we're going to be talking about Coda, and did you know that it's based on a French film from 2014 called The Bellier Family? Um, you're making it seem like we do this on a log, but we just found out literally while we were planning this. Week. I know. I, I'm saying it like, did you know? Because we literally just found out. We, yeah, we didn't know <laughs> until we saw the movie. and We were like, no way. This is a remake. Who knew? Who knew? Well, now we know and... And uh, climb on board because you're going to know all about it too. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast about unoriginality. Before we get into it, as always, uh, if you love and support this podcast, then show us your support by reaching out at any of your platforms that you listen to and just give us a rating and a little review. Or you can reach out via email. And uh, just this week, we actually got an email from one of our actually favorite <laughs> people to hear from. And I just wanted to read a little bit of that email for you guys now. I just want to actually, point out that this listener usually praises me and agrees with me. Uh, however, this one time we do not see eye to eye, apparently. Yeah. And how devastated were you about that, Rolando? Very. Because I felt like my opinion was law. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. Just about had to sign into our Gmail. So, oh, hey, kitty. All right, here we go. So this is from Paul. And he says, Dear gang at Triple R, thanks for a super show and thank you for the compliment. But I'm afraid that I'm going to have to agree with Nicole on this one. As a longtime reader of Agatha Christie, I was very excited when they announced that Kenneth Branagh was going to revive Poirot in a new Murder on the Orient Express. I just love his work, especially, especially his Shakespeare movies. But when I saw the movie, I was so disappointed. He had moved his characterization so far away from Christie that it just didn't ring true for the character of Poirot. Poirot is not an action hero. He is the master of little gray cells. He doesn't chase the bad guy under railroad bridges. So I just uh, I just want to point out that one of our listeners thinks I'm right and Rolando's wrong. And we appreciate the email, Paul, you know, and everyone else. Keep him coming because we just love the feedback. Also, he corrected me because I said there was only three Peter Yustoff movies, but there were three movies and TV movies. He continued on. Wow. You know? yeah. So you got your comeuppance, too. Yeah, I did too, actually. Yes, it, he didn't leave me out. <laughs> Moving on, though. <laughs> As always, we're joined by Eddie. Hey, guys. Hi, Eddie. And, and this week, this feels like a, a little bit of kismet because we were supposed to, we were going to do like a one-off. Maybe we were going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, what everyone's watching right now on Netflix and what I, I was kind of looking forward to. What are we going to do? Let's just do a one-off. I am just so happened to watch Coda. I was reading about it, saw that there was a French film and I was reached out to the boys and I was like, boys, did you know about this? And they're like, oh my God, we just watched it too. Let's cover it. It pretty much happened like that, right guys? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's literally what happened. Yeah. Like Eddie was going to pick Coda for movie club, but we ended up just watching it ourselves. Movie club be damned. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, like a couple of days later, I think maybe the next day. Yeah, you were texting us? Yeah. It was the next day. It was just like, were you aware that Coda is a remake? And we were like, what? That's a, there's just no originality in Hollywood. It just is not. Like, I yeah. No other yeah. way to say it. That's, I mean, yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because like, you know, translating uh, films in other languages is, has been a thing for a very long time. Um, I feel like, 
like the departed is a movie that you know another like that won the best picture in 2016 i think it's the only other than ben-hur film remake that ever won best picture but you know it's like we've been doing it for so long but it's always such a bummer kind of to like see a film that you thought was original and then realizing Mm -hmm. oh no it wasn't yeah um so i don't know but we'll get a little bit into that you know the stories are so similar that i thought we could approach this like we did with like nightmare alley where we just kind of talk about the stories and then we bring up you know both versions sure um because they really i mean like when we say remake you know sometimes sometimes shot for shot it is a remake i think one is a more elevated version of the other and i think you know they're both the, the the basic story of them are the same. Do you want me to go in, right into the story, or do you want to go into some history first? Oh, no. Um, I mean, I think we should just go into the story. There's not so much history, you know. In oh. 2014, a movie was made, and they decided to remake it in 2021. Bam, oh. history. Seven years later. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, um, I no disrespect. I know there's much more here, but I kind of just want to focus on this, these films and these stories sure. this week. So the basic plot line of both these films is a high school girl is the daughter to a deaf family, a working class deaf family. I think that's important to mention. And uh, this girl is kind of caught in the middle of trying to live her own life and pursue her passions while at the same time feeling obligated to help her family that is deaf. And in the process, she ends up joining a choir and uh, discovers that she has a natural talent when it comes to singing. And this clashes with the family because the family is trying to start, they're trying to start a new chapter in their lives that doesn't involve whatever working class job they have. And as a result, there's uh, they butt heads and she has to basically choose between her passion and her family. And she goes on to choose her family at first but when the family sees how talented she is they urge her to pursue her dreams and uh she ends up joining either going to school or college for singing because that turned out to be her passion and i think the irony there of course is that you know of course the daughter of a deaf family would be a great singer you know yes it makes her good drama for sure it truly does you really just summed that whole movie up in like two minutes. Thank you. <laughs> you just, and you know what? You it's, went for it. Yeah. It's so rare when I can do that, right? I didn't go into mm. like little subplots because I think each movie, I think the American version has more subplots than the mm. French version, but mm-hmm. uh, there are subplots in both films. This is true. <clears throat> well, okay. So let's talk a little bit then, you know, let's start from the beginning while we compare and contrast these characters of the two different versions. So like Rolando said, you know, it's about a teenage girl in high school In the French version in the Bellier family, her name is Paula and she's played by Luanne Emera in the American version. Coda, uh, her name is Ruby and she's played by Amelia Jones. And that reminds me, do you know what Coda stands for? Yes. It stands for children, child of deaf adults. Yes, child or children of deaf adults. Yes, uh, I didn't know that until I googled it. I was like, "What the fuck is Coda?" Like, I don't understand what how it connects to <laughs> this movie. And it's just like, "Oh, there it is." Duh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, not an acronym um, I've heard that much, but it's. I find it fascinating that that is that we have an acronym for that because I guess that's a more persistent problem than not problem, but you know, a persistent thing that happens i guess i guess you know i can't really speak to that this is i, I, I know i, I remember am... last year i saw a google commercial where the whole premise around it was he is a child of deaf adults and he communicates with uh during the pandemic with uh i think maybe with a facebook commercial but like whatever device they're talking about like the one where you see with your camera either your google hangouts or facebook that device facebook portal one of those two, but I remember mm. I re- and that's where I remember that is the first time I heard Coda, but it never it didn't stick to my brain. <laughs> didn't register. Yeah, and it's okay. interesting though that Coda also has a, a musical meaning. Oh, does it too? Oh, it's usually like the addition or the end of a piece. It's like the ending of a piece that adds something to the basic structure. Oh, I didn't know that. All right, that's pretty cool. 
Mm. Yeah, that is actually. Wow. And yeah, I love that. Um, so in the French film, <clears throat> Paula, she is the daughter of a working class family and they own a farm. They own, they own a, a cow farm. And I, I assume that their main product is, is dairy. Uh, I feel like they were cheese makers. Yeah, I think cheese. Yeah. Whereas in Coda, uh, instead of that, they're, they're in New England. <clears throat> so their main product is is fish, I suppose. Right. Or sea creatures. I shouldn't just you know say fish. I'm not sure completely. But they I mean, own a boat. They go out. Okay. You know, They capture fish, like yeah. live catches. And, and they sell it. And they must have some sort of relationship with the docks. Because it's like they have to give it a percentage to the people who sell it for them. Right. So they sell it. I think they sell it wholesale to the fishmongers and then they probably distribute it. Fishmongers. That sounds like such an insult. I love it. I, I love the word fishmonger. And yeah, they one. are so hard to find, come by. And I need to find a good fishmonger because if you want to make good ceviche, which is a Peruvian dish, Ooh. Uh, fish that's cooked in, uh, in like citrus juices. Mm-hmm. You need to find a good fishmonger you can trust. And I have yet to find one. So if, wow, you, if, any, if you're out there, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how she starts her day. She she is the, like we said, she's the only one who can speak. But, and she's kind of like their translator. So she starts the day with them. You know, in the American film, too, it's even more apparent that she needs to be there because they're on a boat. So they need someone who can hear and who can be kind of like the middleman in between things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after waking up at like 4 a.m. doing this job, she has to run on over. It's like 3 a.m., not even. She has to run on over to school, right? I know, and what both, a life. What a life. Uh, and both films show that it is exhausting for her. Yeah. Immediately, we see that this this kind of almost double life, you know, not a negative way, but she's living two different lives, um, is taking a toll on her. Immediately, we see that she's exhausted in both films. Um, and in both films, we immediately see that she has a love of music, right? Uh, she's always singing. A big difference so then occurs when we kind of get into the school life. Paula is kind of just, you know, she's there. She's not really like the out, the major outcast at school. And she doesn't have like a lot of people who target her in terms of bullying. Whereas Ruby does, which actually kind of struck me as surprising, I suppose, because, you know, I've spoken with younger kids and I know some younger kids who said that, you know, bullying isn't as much of an issue as it was say in my generation. Right. Because of these whole anti-bullying acts and whatnot. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Well, how young are you talking about? like 17 oh i don't so i don't i feel like maybe they're lying because the i think why would they lie because the suicide rates are like i think higher i'm not saying that who i spoke to can speak for everyone but it's also i feel like the anti-bullying movement has had to have had somewhat of an impact on our culture i don't know i I don't know i feel like i watch euphoria and they say otherwise (laughs) oh here we go So, but it's interesting because it's a conspiracy they're covering up for all the other bullies. Maybe she's yeah, a bully. So and that's what she's covering. <laughs> I'm I'm in my 30s. I haven't been in high school for a while, but like you know, it seems like according to this movie, you know, bullying and targeting people. It's also like we live in a culture now where you don't really target people with like insensitivities, like cultural insensitivities. So that was also like, what is this like, 1995? Is this when this takes place? Because I feel like, I don't know. For, that was just hard for me to believe. But nonetheless, she is definitely an outcast in the American version and is definitely bothered almost by it. Like people immediately just, uh, you know, make fun of her for smelling like fish the moment she gets to school. Well, uh, yeah. And the way she talked, because, you know, when she first learned to speak, uh-huh. when she was raised by deaf people, it, def- it uh, affected her speech, right? Right. So- that all makes sense, actually, to be honest. I don't know. Maybe we're using the word. I don't know. If, maybe she wasn't bullied, per se. Um, um, I mean, if Target we, if we, teasing. If we, if we look at it as made fun of. Yeah. Um, you know, which I also think is an element of bullying. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but, you, you know, in the sense of that she kind of be uh, was made fun of, by the way, you know, her speech. Um, Ostracized. Young, um, and, and probably, I mean, very much she could. You get the sense that, that she's not from a rich family, mm-hmm. you know, like right away compared to uh, the other kids and the way they would dress or, or the mm. way she holds herself too. was very she has this like this slouch like she kind of like she has this uh, um, kind of she she kind of like closes her she closes herself up. She has this like body language of of always in defense, mm-hmm. you know, protective, protecting, protecting mm. her heart, protecting her, protecting herself. Um, 
yeah, and and, and the and the French one, it it didn't seem like anyone. Everyone seemed to be like in the same class. Like the way everyone dressed was the same. Like the same kind of style. Uh, everyone looked like no one was like more fashion than anybody else. Everyone just kind of looked. I know what you you know, kind of the the same. Yeah, Gossip you know? Girl. This was not. You know, everyone. You know, and so I didn't get a sense of like in the French one that she was like a target in school yeah. at all. I almost got I mean, I even the feel of this movie, the French one was like it's like a little hallmarky. I had like this like it's like this like a hallmark movie. Yeah. It, oh. You know, the the colors and, and just the feel of it seemed like, oh, this is like a Hallmark movie. I mean, the beginning of it was way happier than the beginning yeah. of Coda. Like Coda, I'm not saying that Coda is a depressing movie. I think <laughs> it is not. It's a it's a very it's a feel goodery film, but it does start off a lot more not as like sunshiny day as the yeah. French one did, right? Well, because Coda kind of takes a different direction. Coda immediately kind of sets up this character who it makes the odds that she feels or the the difference like she kind of feels isolated in both worlds like she kind of feels isolated at home because she she can hear but she also feels isolated at school whereas that's not actually an issue for paula in the french version right so the issues that ring up aren't like this whole internal almost borderline existential thing it's more so just like a a kind of her quest uh, later on in the film. The American film almost like immediately makes it seem like she's not okay with mm -hmm. uh, her identity, whereas she's totally fine with her life and her situation in yeah. the French film. You know what that's called in screenwriting? Um, conflict. Yeah, that's basically mm -hmm. what they were introducing right from the get-go. Conflict between, uh, conflict in our main character, which I think on some level... It was a little heavy-handed. I mean... So? Yeah, I don't know if it was that heavy-handed. Because, uh, well, because, I thought so. I mean, I, considering how much shit she has to go through by the end, I'm just like, that is the least of her problems, to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So that's the thing. Along the way, two things happen. The first thing that kind of happens is that because she likes to sing, you know, and she has this crush on this boy, her and her one friend decide to join the choir. Right. And there is also a difference there, you know, in the original, in the French film, <clears throat> she's totally cool with like performing for to an extent until she like really lets it out and then she gets embarrassed and runs away. Mm -hmm. But in the American film, again, when she's put on the spot, oh my God, no, I got to go and hide. Yeah. Uh, so she's definitely got a lot of insecurities and stuff. Also pretty bold of the teacher to put her... To like well, the teacher her. is different. The teacher is almost like this, like stereotypical artsy, like almost like a ballet instructor. It's like you must dance the ballet and you must dance it well. Like Wait, it's such which... a stereotype of an artistic teacher who's just which like one? always trying to push you. The American one, the French oh. one, not so much. Oh, I, I, okay. He's I like, feel like oh, I'm gonna smoke a cigarette. My life. <laughs> well, that's so <laughs> surprising. Because <laughs> you would expect the French film to be more like. He would be more out there and theatrical, and yet yeah. it was the American one. <laughs> right, but because the French guy hated where he was. That's the major difference between the two characters. Yeah, the you French could say guy, that, yeah. The yeah. French guy definitely thought he was meant for better things, but he, this is where the... I don't know how they do things in France, but the, he said the school, the people who assigned teachers... Assigned him there. And... Assigned him there, and he has another two years left in that school. <laughs> right? Before he kills himself, yeah. And in the American version, like he chose to be there. He yeah. chooses to be there to help out this community in his own way. Well, I guess that's what makes him him then is because he chose to be there. I mean, he, they just made him very theatrical and stuff. It's fine. I mean, I actually liked the character, but it was Me also too. like, okay, is this uh, it's okay. are, are, are uh, teachers really allowed to do this these days? But it's so interesting, too, because so immediately like, I, everything gets heightened in the American film. Which is kind of surprising because you would think that the the European film would be more heightened because I agree more yeah. inclined to go that way, but uh, you know reversals, right? Well, also, Americans love drama. Yeah, so she's not okay with her voice. Now they both have very very nice voices, but the way that the teacher finds out that she's talented and the different in both films is quite different, and I found one to be a little bit more believable than the other. Uh, what? and I'm just wondering which ones you guys felt because 
again, there's a moment where the teacher is like, oh, you have a talent. I'm going to offer my time to help you with your talent. Right. Where we are also supposed to find out, oh, not only like she could sing and she could sing really well. There's you like a about, moment in both films where that happens. You talk about when this girl, the French one, she starts like belting it out and everyone just starts looking at her. Yeah. Like overshines everybody. I hated that one. You hate it. I, you know why? Because I was just like, ew, I hate, like, I hate when people show off in class. Wh- wh- and she's oh showing off. She's showing off. I guess so. She's showing I mean, off by going all, like, just singing. But if she's, why she, not? If she, she got it, she's, she thinks she's Nicole Scherzinger in the, uh, the Pussycat Dolls. That's who she's pretending to be right there. And oh. it's annoying. Is that why you don't like to go to karaoke with me? Because I'm an amazing singer. No, pl- first of all, please, I wiped the floor <laughs> with you. So <laughs> that's first and foremost. Uh, the only one who had me, actually, who was a better performer, was the other gay guy in the group. But that's because he actually did a song and dance. I don't dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so th- this whole thing is like a big subplot for her is that she has this teacher who is encouraging her to leave her home and to go to a school, whether, you know, in the, in the French film, it's Paris, but in the American film, uh, it's Boston, it's Boston. Boston. And what's, ah, uh, man, what was the name Berkeley. of that college again? Berkeley, Berkeley the famous Berkeley college of music. Right. Which is also like <laughs> going for the gold. Good for you. Um, cause I know Berkeley, I don't know the school in Paris, but I know Berkeley and it's pretty, pretty well known music school. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's up there with okay. like Juilliard and stuff. Um, excuse um, you, William Patterson has one of the <laughs> finest jazz programs in the nation. That's not even me being. Uh, that's not even me poking fun. Like that's a straight up. Fact. No, actually, NJCU also has a pretty good jazz program. Yeah, so. Jersey represent. Hell yeah! I mean, hey, we're right across New York, so that's right. obviously. Um. Yeah, but so while this is kind of going on. The whole tension at home is happening and enter her family. Again, she is a coda, a child of deaf adults, but she also has a sibling who just so happens to be deaf. Mm-hmm. In the French film, um, her brother is younger than her. Yes. In the American film, I'm pretty sure he's older than her. No, he is. It's, he's yeah. definitely older. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, sub, that's um, a plot point. Yeah. I don't know by brother. how much because, you know, yeah. I, I hope not by much, but. Um, oh, like a couple of years, maybe? Oh, because he, he's he's fornicating with her friend? Yeah. But they're but seniors, so they're probably like 17, 18. They're, they're fine. I guess so. Uh, but yeah, so in the in the French film, the brother's kind of just there. He doesn't mm. really play a, a major, like, he's doesn't add too, too much to, like, any of the conflict in the story. Uh, he doesn't have his own side story other than the one night he spends with uh, Paula's best friend, but he has way gets more a latex allergy. Yes, gets a latex allergy, which is actually funny. Uh, and then, but in the American film, the brother gets a whole different arc. Yes, he has a major subplot. So his major subplot is Leo. that he is a he's the older brother, so he feels that he should be have the responsibilities that sh- that have been placed on his sister. Mm-hmm. Right, he feels that he should be the caretaker of the family. Right, he also has this plan because the government is now intervening with the fishing market, and so he decides to gather all the fish fisher fishermen or fisher ladies. I think I always saw men, but fisher people to uh, start a co-op, and uh, as a result, the family tries to start this co-op that is becoming a new business for them and they're looking for it as a way to kind of thrive in this kind of diminishing market because as we know i mean they kind of i mean without saying it they're saying it it's about global warming and our over indulgence of fish markets has kind of like led to like less uh less of a population and so the government now has to intervene by saying it's like all right well you can't fish that deep fishermen are saying it's like you don't you don't know what it's like out there right which is i'm I, I think it was, you know, true. Uh, this is kind of the problem we're having with uh, the world right now, right? You have the working class to see government intervention as a bad thing, despite the fact that, yeah, the government is intervening for the betterment of the world. However, it is interfering with the daily lives of these people. Uh, and one of their solutions is to start a co-op. So he is just trying to, he's just trying to be kind of, he wants to be the man for the family that they could depend on, right? But he's kind of jealous of his sister 
because she as the connection between their world and the hearing world has uh just more not more to offer per se but that's how the, he sees it yeah and uh, oh and then he's also banging her friend yes and yes <laughs> that's not really a subplot per se but he does find love you know but well it's it, hopeless it place it's more to it there's almost yeah. like he's kind of dealing with his own not like mm, denial because there's like this one scene where he's like i can do it i can go read lips and yeah i'm gonna go have a beer with the guys yeah and then he goes, he can't really catch up so much with the lips, but he gets so aggravated that he starts to fight. Yeah. And and yeah, and he, he definitely, like, it seems like it's this tension that's building up where it's just like he wants to, so much to fill this role. And like everyone's kind of putting these blockades in him simply because of his status as yeah. a deaf person. And it's actually, a, I loved this element to this film um, because of like, it just puts you in the perspective what this film, both films do pretty well, but you know, I really liked what this story is putting you in the perspective of somebody like that, of somebody who is at kind of like odds within the world that they live with and who wants a better future for themselves or who wants so much and yet can't seem to get it for all these other reasons other than themselves, mm-hmm. which must be so frustrating. Yeah. Um, and really sad. It was really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, Plus he's super handsome. He's very handsome and great actor. I thought his his he was a great actor too. Oh yeah, let's the performances in this movie are all top notch, and yeah. uh, I'm going to they're just actors as far as I'm concerned. But like, they're the big thing about Coda is that all the actors who are deaf are deaf, you know, so they're yes. not playing deaf; Which they are is themselves deaf, and that's in contrast to the French to film. the French version. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Gained a lot of controversy because of that. Uh, in the French film, the parents are played by Karin Viard and uh, Francois Damien, and they can hear. They can and hear. They can, a, mm-hmm, and yeah, they can a, speak. So. And apparently, Eddie, while doing his research, said that French uh, sign language, uh, fresh, the French deaf community felt that their performances were inauthentic and they overacted, which, even though I don't, I'm not, like, I, I don't understand, like, for example, sign language, I could see that argument of like, yeah, it does look at times that they were just acting like overacting on the on the hand gestures. Yeah, I will say in particular, uh, Karin Viard's performance, and I hope I'm saying her name right, but as the mother in the French film, I did think was a little over the top-ish. I agree. Um, I tend to be okay with over the top if the role kind of calls for it or is theatrical, but you're, you're, you know, you're playing a working class mother and you're a hearing person who's playing deaf. And I've kind of, and one of the criticisms was that a lot of people thought that the portrayal of the parents being deaf actually played more for comedy. Uh, Yeah. Which I, I don't know that. I don't know if it's necessarily true because I don't know how sometimes I think, yeah. Didn't you see that? Not as much as like I, I think I to like very much that. argue about it. Well, so there's a big sequence difference between the two films, which is interesting in in the ways that they decided to uh, to change this moment. But it's one the parents like to have sex with each other, which is great. After 20 years of being together, these parents like to fuck, and that's awesome. Um, but they can't at the moment. You know, they're not supposed to because uh, there's a rash. There's a rash, and you know it could be bad. But they can't keep their hands off each other. And in the French, yes. (laughs) And in the, uh, in the French film, she's just hanging with her friends and she's hanging with her one friend, hears them having sex. And then they just like, or like they laugh it off. They giggle. They giggle. Yeah. But in the American film, it just so happens to be when, uh, Ruby has her crush over. Right. That they hear this and then they have this whole awkward interaction with the boyfriend. Now in the French film, the awkward interaction that, she has with her crush that you know she gets made fun of is when she gets her period yeah so she gets her period for the first time her mom mm-hmm. is super excited for her and parades her bloody and, jeans and does that and i felt 100 that that was going for comedy and i felt like it was not very effective because i was like i don't believe that she would just do that like i don't think it's a matter of like she's deaf she didn't know someone was there i don't think she would go and show her daughter's fucking blood <laughs> to her whole family like so, that just doesn't feel like something a woman would do i don't know what the french customs are but in america we don't do that 
Uh, no, I, I actually, so I thought that bit was, I laughed at the situation of it, mm-hmm. but I agree. Like, it's not, it is a little bit lowbrow humor, which is not what I was expecting for a French film. And I don't see many French films. <laughs> Let me tell <laughs> you, know, well, uh, I will, this is not the standard that the French cinema should be held to. I'll say that much right now. <laughs> but, I will say, though, the valid that was a way more valid reason for the girl, Paula, to be upset at her crush, I think. Because, like, why are you telling people about this story that you, about, like, po- that's embarrassing. He definitely deserved, like, a smack across the face. Yo, that was a big smack, too. Yeah, whereas in the American film, it's almost like they wanted there to be this conflict, but they also didn't want us to not like the character. Yeah. Or to like well, kind of he was actually no he didn't actually mean to so they kind of gave him a pass where it's like oh I just told this one person and then she told this person about the story and I thought it was you know cute well yeah but even then though like she's already it doesn't so it doesn't matter how innocent the story was right she's already feeling like the target of jokes so like they're just gonna use they're gonna weaponize it regardless of how. M- malicious the story is it doesn't it doesn't matter like there it's still ammunition that they're using against her so yeah. she had every right to be mad uh and well that uh, girl was like that girl was a see you next tuesday she was but you know it's also like i don't know that seemed <laughs> that seemed super high school i used to be sometimes that person <laughs> you, you, know, <gasps> you know so i actually uh, believe it <laughs> oh yeah yeah they're they're stories you know but I was also sometimes the target of bullying. So, like, you know, I, I you play the cards you're dealt. Anyway, uh, but I actually – so I actually found the interaction, though, between the parents in the American version and uh, her crush to be better only because, like, the comedy came from their over-concern, their love of her, right? Like, they're just like, are you using protection? You make sure you use protection. You're They're, like, they're just being protective parents. But they're also still – I think it was interesting because like they're not they're very sex positive, right? They're mm. ready for her to be a woman. They just want her to be safe. Yeah. You know? And I think uh as any teenager I think would be mortified of having that conversation with like your paramour and your parents, you know what I mean? I sure. am uh in my mid thirties and if my mother had that conversation with me and Eddie, I would be mortified. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. that's a feeling we could all relate to. Absolutely. And now's a good time to mention the parents are played by Troy Kotzer and Marley Matlin, who I think might be one of the probably the most famous deaf actor in America, at least. Marley Mm -hmm. Matlin won an Oscar for a performance in a film called Children of a Lesser God in 1986. Um, I think as of as far as I know, the only deaf actor to win. And I mean, she's been in everything. She's been in the L word. Uh, I think she's been like Law and Order. She's been on Seinfeld. The Magicians. The Magicians. I mean, she is a working fucking actress. It's great to see her in a movie and it's great to see her playing such a role too because like this, both mothers are not as understanding as they should be of the situation that their daughters are in, but Marley Matlin really plays that up. Where... Well, I was just going to say Ruby's position kind of as the middleman between mm-hmm. them and the outside world and and how much weight they put on her, mm-hmm. you know, how much responsibility is on her shoulders. The parents, especially I felt like the mother doesn't get it right oh, no, away. Yeah, agreed. And that's I mean, that's such a conflict, too. You know, when like one of my favorite things in like movies about parents and 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 their children is when it's so clear to you when something's wrong and like in a dynamic and the character's just not getting it because that's one of the most real things in all human relationships. Mm -hmm. Like we look at a bunch of people and we see things so clearly, but the people who are in it, they're never able to see it clearly. Like in a canto. Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah. (laughs) Like the grandma, right? Like how (laughs) there you go. Okay. Well, like in ordinary people, you know, where it's like, just fucking hug your son, but, why can't like that's all you got to do just hug your son why can't you just take a picture with your son yeah you know but it's and where she doesn't realize and she thinks that the son's a fucking uh playing the victim so it's interesting because in this it's like well we need you like your family needs you your family's in a moment of crisis but it's also like you just want to yell at her and that's when a movie does it effectively where it's like she's 16 Mm -hmm. she has her own life don't you realize the stress that you're putting on her 
Well, I will say this. I think in the French one, the mom comes off a lot more selfish and colder. Okay. Yeah. Than okay. In, than in the American one, because in the Amer- so there's a speed, there's a monologue that both moms have in which they tell their daughter that they do wish they were blind, right? But I think they're both handled Deaf. very differently. Deaf. Deaf, I'm sorry. Deaf. Uh, and they're both handled very differently. I think in the French one, the mom comes off super selfish by the end of that scene. And it, I, I kind of felt like, God, like I don't, I don't like the parents in this one. As opposed to the American one where that scene came off a lot more sweet because even though she does tell her daughter, I do wish when you were born, like I was so sad when you were not deaf. There's a connection there that she's able to make. It's not. It's not. Uh, you know, she was just afraid that they would not connect. You know. Mm, yeah. And th- there was just a lot more tenderness in that, in the way they just played out those scenes. That I don't think that this, I was shocked that the French one just didn't have. Well, that's interesting. I did not feel like she was selfish. Mm. Again, I felt like every moment was played a little bit more comedically, uh, whereas in Coda it was played very more dramedy-ish, where it yeah. was balancing that line between drama and comedy. Um, but I do think, I think because of that, she just didn't come off right in the French film. Whereas you actually had this tender moment with the Marley Matlin one. Yeah. I Um, guess maybe because like the mom was making it very clear that like they need you and we need you and you can't like step out of this world. Like we need you. It was kind of that. They, she put that heaviness on her daughter where I don't like that heaviness didn't appear in the American one. It was kind of maybe a little bit coded there, but like the the takeaway from that one is that we do love each like we love each other. Like there was love in that family. You know, you can't I could definitely see the argument that like in the American one, like despite their disagreements, there is pure love in this one. In mm-hmm. the in the French one, I I between the mom and the daughter, not so much. This the father, yeah. I think the father and her daughter for sure have that love. Not well, the mom. what about in the American one where, you know, they're there, the TV crew's coming, but Ruby's already been told that if she doesn't, you know, get on time for her next uh, mm-hmm. uh, vocal session, that that's it for her. Right. And the mother's like, where are you going? The TV crew's here. Mm-hmm. She's like, Ma, I told you I have to go. Like, this is important to me. It's like, yeah, but the, like that tension between them and that scene, she's like, they're really right there. Like, we need you. Like, I felt that scene to be actually one of the heaviest scenes because you actually felt the anxiety where it's like, oh, my gosh, like the two major decisions that she has to come to. I and mean, like that's and you know the, how intense that teacher is like she's he's never yeah. letting her step foot in his house again. By the way, do you think he was gay? Who, the teacher? Yeah. No, but now. that No, but I guess uh, I thought he I mean, was. I didn't get any gay vibes. Oh, I thought I've he was. I thought... a lot of, I've seen him in other things. And I do like him. I, I he just. Maybe a little flamboyant, but I don't think he. I need. Oh well, I don't know. Advice. I thought it was a really nice portrayal of a gay father. You know, now I kind of hope it was, see. but I didn't yeah. read it as such. Oh well, you know. Uh, um, but I will. I agree, I agree with you, and I, I think again that scene on both movies relatable because I think a lot of us have been in those situations where we have to pick between our friends and our family, right? Now, mm-hmm. granted, this is like for her. It's about like her future if she wants to pursue it or not. Uh, in this one. It's very much, but I've, you know, I've been there. I've been like, you know, having, it's just like, oh, I want to go out and have fun and do something of my own. And then your mom is just like, well, I need you here to do this because you speak English fluently and I don't, they, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, so I've had to like sometimes make sacrifices in that sense. <gasps> I am. Don't. I am. Don't. <laughs> Let's just stop right there. <laughs> Uh, so I think the emotional kind of like peak of this film comes when the recital happens in both films. Mm-hmm. Um, the they obviously the whole family goes and shows up to support her because she tells them, "Oh, we've been in choir." Even though the mom's like, "Why are you in choir? Why would you do that singing?" And there's actually now that I think about it, there's this weird scene at the dinner table with Marley Matlin and she's like singing. She almost like makes this thing like that's stupid. Yeah, that I scene I felt was a little much, but uh. It was I just because it was also like, why? Why? Why well, is she so insecure about her own thing? Maybe that this is why this is the only reason why I could think of why that scene existed. I think it's part of that 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 thing where uh, her, the mom is very much she has this anxiety that like she'll never be able to be on the same wavelength as her daughter. The singing just adds to it's that. It's not the wavelength is connecting. Yeah. It's, it's, she's not trying to be her daughter's best friend. She's, she wants to make sure that she's a good mom. 
Yes, I, I agree with you. But I think part of that, though, is just like she feels like singing is almost like an act of defiance, right? She says, yeah. of course, you pick the talent that like we, your family, cannot connect with, right? But you she couldn't say do- that. She does. She actually said that. Let's just I no, think no, she no, did no, say she, that. It's like yeah. you just made an analogy. If, she, if, it's if, like you if couldn't we do were painting, blind, would you oh, be a painter? Exactly. Yes. You know, oh, that kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's more, and, and her expression was more, I mean, yeah, it was, it was kind of heavy. It was like, damn, mom. You know, but it was like the sense of like not you're like oh I guess you know like not really caring, like I I guess if you want to waste your time that way you know that kind of expression, um and and not being able to appreciate that but that's the that's that's tr- like they never um heard their daughter sing, mm-hmm. you know, and we we don't get the moment I I saw this movie twice. So in the, loved it. in the second scene, in, in the second time around, I, I kind of like the scene, the scene when, when she is singing, she's doing the duet. And, you know, when it goes quiet. Yeah. When when we get their point of view shot, when we get their point of view. And it's like that. But they are noticing how people are reacting to their daughter singing. Right. And it's 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 that moment that it clicks. You know, they yeah. notice how their daughter is affecting others. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the world and they're seeing their daughter as separate from them not part of the family unit not the interpreter of the family but her own person with this talent that they may not at this point you know, let's be real they, 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 they may they may not un- understand but they they can see how it is impacting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those yeah. that can hear her so yeah those that that's and yeah so like i said we reach an emotional impact uh and like height peak of the movie with this and with this exact scene and it's interesting how differently it plays like i was almost wondering when i was watching the french film like is this something that we we thought of and i was hoping that the american oh <laughs> me too That's had so funny, that right? like the unique su- to the, us the dead silent part yeah yeah, yeah. and but yet- the american film plays it way more uh, effectively i think i agree yeah. i don't yeah. i didn't understand the I was looking for it in French, like yeah. Besides, besides the uh, you know, besides like we can't you know, this is what we, this is how we're experiencing this moment, right? This is how we're experiencing the moment. Besides getting that point of view, I didn't like. Okay, I didn't, I didn't see what I saw in Coda. Yeah, yeah. I, would agree. I, th- I will say. I mean, it was a little bit of the directions, but I'm gonna give it to the performances here because. Um, when it was really focused on Troy Kutzer, who's also nominated for an Academy Award mm-hmm. for his performance. Um, and we'll get to his other scene after this. But him kind of like, you know, want, you see the longing of wanting to experience his daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and him like looking around and like just hoping that maybe he can get some of it on the glimpses that of other people's faces. It felt kind of, it was actually kind of tragic. Yeah, and I got no, that purely from his performance. Uh-huh. The And maybe it was the performance, maybe the French film just, it didn't linger enough in the shots or in the editing for us to feel that connection with the character. Whereas in the American film it did. And um, yeah. I think the American one, did it start off with a point of view shot, right? I remember, I think it starts off with a P, when we get to I silence. think so. I think I, it started uh, yes, with a POV. Yes. And it does then, a focus pull. Uh huh. Exactly. And I think yeah. that was, but it was so effective because mm-hmm. as soon as that happened, like I obviously, I mean, we, we, you and I, we studied film, so it's like we know what a simple trick, and yet it was so effective at this moment. They chose like the right moment to to do this. I'm calling it a trick, but like you know, filmmaking. Uh, and uh, it, it, and you're right, it just hits. And then when I saw the French, because as we came to the French scene, I was just like, oh, I wonder if like the Americans just came up with that part by themselves. And like, oh no, there it is. I'm like, huh, it hit, it hit differently. Yeah, like, it didn't hit the same for some reason. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I thought it was very effective. I also thought that the fact that like before that scene, they're like, what do you have, want to have for dinner? <laughs> Uh, like they're having that conversation while the recital is going on. I actually thought that was a really nice touch in the American one because, and that was a comedy moment that made a lot of sense because I'm like, they're probably bored out of their fucking minds right. sitting it's there. True. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. they can't experience it. Um, so what are you going to do? Well, well, let's talk about dinner. You know, they're just kind of like sitting there like, mm-hmm, yep, cool. Um, so yeah, it just, I thought that was overall really effective. And then, but I think the real peak of this, film and definitely the reason why troy kotzer got an academy award nomination 
is the scene when the daughter in both films, the daughter and the father have this moment where he's like, I want you to sing your song for me that you sang. You know, I want to be able to experience it. And while she sings, he puts his hands on her, on her throat, you know, on her face so he can try and feel her voice and he right. can get a glimpse of he can almost like it's the closest thing that he can to hear her saying fucking beautiful and yeah. just devastating of a moment. Um, the French film, it plays it at a wide angle and it just stays on the moment. Right. Yes. And she performs that really nice Michelle Sarad or whatever song. Uh, the yeah, American do film. This, do you know the singer? Uh, I actually don't. You're but I kind of want to. No, I'm not. I'm an Anglophile. Oh, I thought you also loved the French. I mean, I appreciate their work, but I appreciate oh. the works of different, many different cinemas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where I said with my pinky out. Um, the American film plays in close-ups. Yes. And it plays in shot reverse shot, um, which is interesting because I usually tend to like when you just kind of like stay on a wide or uh -huh. you just stay on a one shot. But the shot reverse shot close ups worked for me yeah. in the code and coda. But also it's the it was the performance by. Charles That's Spencer. why. And this yeah. is why I mean, sometimes your camera like I don't disagree with you in terms of sometimes hold on the wide. But mm -hmm. if your performance are that good. You have to focus on the wide, on the close up because that's where you're gonna get your money shot, which is where you start welling up. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I absolutely was like, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was so beautiful, and I really do think I'm rooting for him to get the Academy Award because I've seen all of the nominated performances for the Academy Award, and right now he's to me like the clear winner. Mm. Um, really quick, do you want to hear the what they are? Okay, so the nominees for Best Supporting Actor are Siren Hands for Belfast. He gave a very good performance. Uh, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, which to me is just so... I, I'm outraged by that. Wait, who is he in Being the Ricardos? He's, he plays William Frawley, and William Frawley played Fred on I Love Lucy. The neighbor? Yeah. What? They got Ethel's, Ethel's husband, right? Ethel's husband, yes. He got not. He played him. I he got seen... fucking nominated. Don't. I, it's not worth it. Just wait till the Lucy and Desi documentary comes out in a week. I have watched I that. Have, I told you, I had no desire seeing the I being the Ricardo because I don't want to see Nicole Kidman non-express. Well, <laughs> <laughs> some people think she might get the best actress, but she gets no way. That'll be I'm... a sin to Desi. De Lucy and Desi are rolling in their graves. I think so. I, I this new documentary, I hope will redeem. You know their everything in of media portrayals or something and everyone will forget about being the ricardos and yet here we are he's got a nomination anyway i'm just gonna let that go for now i'm just so outraged by it but the other two performances are two performances from power of the dog have you seen power of the dog no what are you waiting Netflix for movie? yes what are you fucking waiting for it's one of the best movies of the year i don't wanna i don't care rolando i'm I don't Trust care. no, it's gonna go somewhere that's going to surprise you. you know, and I actually think you're really going to like it. I'm disappointed it. because I was rooting for Tick Tick Boom to get like a best picture nomination. I was gonna be ahead of the game and it did not. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like or best directing. So I've just my heart's been broken by Netflix on this. Here's one. hoping Andrew Garfield might might take it. But uh, I'm I'm just gonna say this one last time. Trust me. Trust me, there's gonna. Is it, it a goes western? in a direction. It is a western, but it doesn't matter. Oh god, no, it goes pass. into hard pass. No, tr it's not a western in that sense. Trust me, trust me. Ugh. Watch the power of the dog. Maybe we'll see. No, trust me, and watch Flea. By the way, watch Flea. Uh, you're gonna love it. Anyway, the last nominated perform performance for best supporting actor is Troy Kotsur from Coda. Even though I'm over here saying Rolando, watch Power of the Dog, and two of them are nominated. I want Troy Kotsur to win. I thought he gave the strongest performance, and he just absolutely moved me. He, uh, it was a strong performance. I'm surprised. Why do you think he got nominated for best supporting actor? How did he not qualify for best actor? Um, Considering he is like the predominant male role. Well, that's a good question. Unless you're counting um, the boyfriend, but the boyfriend, there's no way. Like, the boyfriend isn't, he didn't have nearly as much screen time as the father. Yes, you're right about that. But I think that the predominant role here is just simply the girl. Oh, I would uh, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I, I think everyone else is by a default supporting. supporting. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. That's that. That would be my logic. Just I was just curious. Um, it's just like you know. Yeah, but yeah. So I think those two scenes are just highly effective. And then of course, both films, you know, result in them being like 
what have we done? Well, in the French film, the teacher didn't even know that she was raised by uh, deaf parents. Yeah, she hid that. She she, she hid, hid that. that. From yeah. Everybody. But, you know, the parents kind of didn't know about this whole, like, audition thing. So, you know, in classic uh, movie ticking clock plot thing, they're like, oh, we got to get you to the auditions. It's in an hour. Can we make it? And, of course, they make it. And, again, this was a moment that I was. At least. They can be late, yeah. This was a moment, again, I was hoping that the Americans did, but they didn't. It was in the French film, too, where when she has her audition, the parents are, they sneak in and they're present for it all the way up in the balcony. And so for her to be able to sing, but to have her, her family uh, enjoy it. She signs, she signs while she sings. They handled it a little bit better in the American one because in the American one, they weren't allowed, but they broke the rules to get up there. Yes, they did. Uh, well, which is also like... How American. I don't know. Anyone? Yeah, how yeah, how American. <laughs> well, then it also goes into this little montage and stuff. I will admit, like this movie kind of did sweep me a little bit off my feet. Like I was just like, oh, this is such a... It was so heartwarming. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i was just like i'm here for it this is like, i agree this, is, this was av- so like even the montage because i i agree with you i tend to detest montages uh i, I thought it was fine I didn't, it didn't even it got me. you that's it didn't, okay yeah. i don't know well, if it got me as much as just like i just didn't i was already i'm here in the moment right i'm hearing her sing that song yeah. by bonnie johnny Wayne. mitchell johnny mitchell johnny mitchell yeah johnny mitchell's uh, great uh, yeah, and you know, you know, I think the only reason why it bothered me was because of one shot in particular. That whole like the whole family waiting by the computer shot, and then it's like, oh, we got it. Oh yeah, like I don't know. It's just like I've seen mm-hmm. these shots done before, um, but it's whatever. I just I'm I'm just one of those movie watchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I, mean, I was swept up with this movie. It totally had me crying. I watched it with my mom, and the moment she started signing to both sides now i could just you know i heard my mom lost it and i was like oh my god no i'm gonna lose it (laughs) (laughs) it was sweet um and but i also thought that the french film was also that moment was really really sweet however now knowing that those actors were not you know authentically playing their roles and knowing how just over the top and comedic the mom in particular made it it actually makes me kind of look differently at the film Mm -hmm. because i do think like is this how you this is how you think deaf people act like what mm-hmm. the hell you know right. like it it kind of it just isn't it's not sitting right with me well i think we talked i think this has come up a lot maybe this side of the year right where it's just like what like when do performances kind of cross a line right like who uh or when does a joke at the expense of a subclass cross a line right yeah. i think we talked about it from murderville when uh, in the Europe, in the English version, right? They, he was in drag, and the joke is a man in drag. That's the butt of the joke. That's where the center of comedy comes from. And it's just like, isn't that offensive if you dress in drag professionally, or if you uh, dress, if you cross dress, if you're like transitioning, you know that kind of stuff, right? And we can excuse it maybe because it is a comedy, and that is what it's for. Here, this movie is technically a comedy, right? However. It does seem like when they were overacting, overemphasizing some of the performances in the in the FSL French Sign Language, it does seem over exaggerated to the point where it almost seems like clownish. So it's just like, is that you know, is that so? Where do we put? I don't know who gets the onus, right? Is it intent to make the signing look silly, or is it just a bad performance? Mm, yeah. Well, it's kind of like when Mickey Rourke, I mean, not Mickey Rourke, goddammit, Mickey Rooney. Uh, oh, played, <laughs> I was to say, what did Mickey Rourke do now? Yeah, he, with his portrayal of a Japanese man in yes. Breakfast at Tiffany's. And he did it, again, he did it for comedy, right? right? But does that uh, uh, allow what he did to pass and not be deemed offensive, especially because, you know, he taped his eyes back, he put fake teeth in. All of that. I mean, this is an extreme. We've deemed it, but I think we have, as a culture, deemed that offensive. Oh, no, yeah. Everybody knows that that's offensive now. But that's the thing, too. It's like sometimes people will be like, oh, well, it's for comedy. It's it's such a tricky line. Oh, Um, right, 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 right. I think that, I guess in this performance, what she's trying to authentic... I don't think she's making fun of a non-deaf person playing a deaf person, I think she's trying to do an impression of a deaf person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If there was like some meta textual thing in there, then maybe I'd be a little bit more like, oh, I get what you're doing. But like essentially she's she's acting how she thinks deaf people act. Yeah. 
So we um, can just attribute it to bad acting. I think it might just be bad acting. Right. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, and that's totally yeah. an acceptable viewpoint, I think, right? Like, I think, I don't, I don't know, you know, that's it. I, I agree with you. I think it was just bad acting. I don't know if there was, like, intent yeah. to necessarily make fun of the deaf community, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, we we don't know her intentions, obviously. Right. So, but yeah, I do think that I'm gonna have to attribute it to just bad acting. Um, and both films end with the family accepting that they have to, you know, let her go. That she can't, they can't force her to live this life because it's almost like her giving up her life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being in the middle. And then they both end with her being driven away in a car and her watching them and then running out, hugging them one last time and getting back and starting her her brand new life. Well, actually, in the French um, one, it ends oh on a freeze God. frame on her running. And I was just like, that's Well, first of all, oh, she, yeah, had a, does, she had yeah. a run awkward a freeze long frame. way. She did. That was such a long way. That it was, was like a long way. way. It was not her. That was it like was, a 5K. I know. That was just like, girl, just turn the car around. Because it's like <laughs> down the road kind of running. And then she has to run back. Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't walk. She just runs back. And then it ends like a little house on the prairie freeze frame. <laughs> I don't know. Moment. I loved it. I loved that ending. Uh, I was like, oh, yes, did so you freeze frame. So yeah. I mean, as soon as it ended, me and so was like, that's a that's a weird ending. <laughs> that was that was unusual. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Freeze frame is like so kitschy for me that I'm just for it. I forgot um, to mention this, but in the French film, the family Bellier, mm-hmm. uh, they are running for uh, the father is running for mayor. That's his story. That's his big story angle. Instead of trying to build that co-op, yes. but yes. what happened to that? I, I don't. Like, I, I don't. I, I, felt I don't like know if he won. The story fizzled. Yeah. Well, kind of in both, didn't it? Right. Like we never really know what happens with the parents' business. No, either. no, they do. No, the company in the, in the in the montage, you see the like the business yeah, thriving. Is, is, yeah. That's right. The benefit of a fucking montage, I yeah, guess. Yeah. It's the huh? summer. It, 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 it wraps up. Happened. Yeah. It gives you just like you know three months. It gave you three months in two, one minute. Crazy crazy but what what you do see in in coda in this montage thing is 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 the family connecting to the community yes okay the only deaf community that seemed to they connected with was each other you know they were their own community your family family is your prime is your first primary community and then you build out from there but that didn't happen for them they they just they just chose to be their own community and they let how whatever they fear of the outside world or whatever they thought was going to happen what you know um keep them that and then we see that ruby's courage ruby like saying look i'm not going to interpret the world for you anymore it's up to you guys and and then the brother wanting to be like hey i i want to do this on my own mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. this is not a disability here it's just a different way yeah, it's a different way, and then and it's, then so you see them reconnect. They're going to the bars. They're hanging out with the other fisher people, fishermen, mm-hmm. you know, and um and you see the mother laughing, and you know and, and laughing right. with the other That's wives. Right. They make and they're they're making sign jokes, you know, or. Yeah. yeah, and oh, I think that's right. the other yeah. thing that Coda. Now I'm not saying it's an agenda, but the other theme of the film is just like this whole idea that like being deaf, is not, like being is not a problem like being deaf doesn't make you less than human right where that's not as present in the in in the french one right like in the french one uh, it's really focusing on like the girl but not necessarily like as this idea of like what it means to be deaf coda very much so that's present in the story yeah it is yeah uh, but I think that brings up, I think the main question here is just, do you think this film deserves an Oscar nomination? Yes. I'm so picture? glad. I'm so glad you asked that question and not the question we, we asked because Rolando and I talked briefly this morning and he did mention something about it being nominated for best picture. Yes. Uh, so Shall I kind of want, I want you to answer first. Okay. So my answer did kind of change since, uh, I talked to you this morning, right? Oh, I was wow, rewatching okay. it. I was listening in and it just made me relive it a little bit because I was cooking. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, well, I will say this. No wire hangers. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Coda, I, my argument this morning was that Coda 
in the Oscars, as of late, there's usually one feel-goodery film that gets nominated because it makes us feel happy. It makes us feel good. I argue that, you know, Hidden Figures, for example, is one of those movies. Great film. Is it Oscar-worthy? I don't know. I don't necessarily think so, but it, it did make me feel great when I was watching it, and I love some of the performances there. This film, for me, was that movie, right? Feel gr- I felt great watching it at the end of it. I don't know if it was Oscar material. However, when I was, as Eddie was rewatching it, and I'm like kind of watching bits and pieces of it too, kind of reliving it, I am going to say, you know what? I might be wrong. Yeah, it is a feel goodery movie. I think it might be, I think it might be Oscar material. I think it's fine. I think it's good because it is kind of, not just is it wholesome, but they had some actual strong filmmaking techniques specifically. Granted, they're, it's copies of the French version. And yet somehow, some way, I still felt better watching the American one than the French. Yeah. I have a question then for you. Define Oscar material. I don't know what that means to me. It changes. Because I thought The Dark Knight should have been an Oscar-nominated film for Best mm-hmm. Picture. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. I don't know what an Oscar... What the, I feel like an Oscar-worthy film should be a film that is good, right? And by good, I mean, like, it should be, like, something that when you watch it, you come out saying it's just like, I not only enjoyed that, but I feel like, I don't know, I, I felt I, like, I learned something new about myself. I feel like I came out maybe understanding something about me or people around me that I didn't think about before. Uh, Strong performances, strong filmmaking, not necessarily excellent, right? But I think it has to be like an overall well-rounded film. That's pretty... Okay, I get that. You know, a lot of people think that uh, Oscar films need to be important with a capital I or something. Or like Which they I don't need stand to be, for that. Yeah. I don't stand for that. They think it needs to be critical darlings. Or some people think it should be blockbusters and like the audience favorites and stuff. And, you know, for me, what makes a film to be, quote, Oscar worthy is simply if it's either, you know, a basic drama or comedy or if it's genre films, it should do what the limitations of that genre, you know, allows them to do and just does it really really well and maybe even push those boundaries right so if it's a comedy then yeah like it should just be a really creatively done unique entertaining comedy Mm -hmm. you know if it's a science fiction film like all of it applies to the genre that it uh it stays in so i don't think any genre should ever be left out right and that's the thing that sometimes either the academy does itself or film people do I'll give you a story and I'm bringing up Ordinary People again. In 1980, Ordinary People won Best Picture and it has ruined the reputation of the film because it won over Raging Bull. And because uh. ra- everybody's convinced that Raging Bull is Oscar, a true film that's worthy of an Oscar and not some film about, you know, a bunch of uh, Illinois people with problems. No, you know. And that's bullshit. <laughs> It's bullshit. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like, it's not just, you know, movies like fucking Raging Bull that deserve to get nominated or win the Oscar. A film like Ordinary People can win the Oscar and fucking deserve it, too. Again, within that genre, what it did, it wasn't by any means an amazingly shot film, but it was so well, it was well directed to an extent. And the performances were fucking fantastic. And it was a story that was never told and really needed to be told. And it was emotionally effective. And that's why it won Best Picture. So this is just an example again, right? I think Coda is probably the most family-friendly, real surprise, kind of tearjerker, like you said, feel-good sleeper hit of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, according to Wikipedia, it had a box office revenue of only a million dollars but again this is on apple tv so they don't share those numbers we don't know how you know if it's been financially successful or not it came out on the it came out in theaters because you need to be in the theaters for like i think two weeks to qualify you have to have been screened at least two weeks uh at a theater there you go right um so and then but this was a distributed uh by Apple TV film. I also want to, you know, we talked about this before, I think maybe a couple of weeks ago when the Oscar nominations came out about like, oh, Hulu got an Oscar and Netflix. I just want to point out, it's like these films are not 
uh funded by Hulu. They're not funded. They're just distributed by them. So they're not really it's not a Netflix does have its own production studio and they do make their own films. I don't think the movies that are nominated by Netflix uh that are I think they're just distributed by Netflix. I don't think they're like actually Netflix originals. You know what I mean? Same thing mm-hmm. with Hulu. Hulu was just a distributor for uh for Nomadland. It's yeah. not a Hulu film. Like Hulu didn't put any money. They just distributed it. So uh at, you know I don't know. I don't think like Netflix or Hulu or even Apple deserve the credit of like, this is one of our films. that when the Oscars is like, well, you guys didn't, you guys didn't do anything. You guys just distributed yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I but yeah, so I, I, I do think that it uh, was, should be nominated for best picture. I actually think the best picture nominations are pretty well-rounded. We got a musical in there, Nightmare Alley, a dark noir, you know, Licorice Pizza is another kind of feel good movie. I had some problems with it, but pretty great movie before we stop for today. Was this needed? Yeah, I think it was needed. I think the French one, outside of the fact it was French and I'd never had heard heard of it, I think the American version took this fine French film and elevated it in a way that I was surprised when I finished the French film. I was just like, wow, the American one was just a higher form of this. And I guess yeah. it's, you know, it's not hard to do. if you. It's a good idea, right? Like, focusing a story on like the child of a deaf family who really depend on you and kind of like, you know, turning that into, you know, a drama. Um, yeah. You know, it did make me think almost like a little of like dances with wolves. It's like, Oh, the only way we could tell a story about deaf people is if our main character isn't deaf. Um, kind of like, Oh, the only way we can make a movie about, you know, indigenous people is if it's told with a main character who's white, like right. Hollywood loves that trope. Regardless, though, it works, and I think that this film was needed purely because of the authentic- authenticity and the amazing performances yeah. given by Daniel Durant, Troy Kotzer, and Marley Matlin. I want to come for you on this one, though. Uh, you, I don't know if this movie... So, I was going to say, I don't know if this movie is about deaf people solely. I think the reason they call Dakota is because this movie is about the child of a deaf adults you know of deaf adults okay what i'm trying to say more so is that it's like if we're going to make a film you know that showcases what it is to be deaf and stuff you know why do we need to tear it through the story of a person who yeah Mm -hmm. like you know i guess it's just like that's that's how hollywood thinks and operates and is always done when they make stories of the other quote other yeah that's my that's more so my point. Again, I'm not like trying to 100% come for this film because I did enjoy it, but it's just like fucking Hollywood doing it again. <laughs> but what do you guys think? Have you seen Coda? Uh, did are you, you ex- know it was a remake? Did you know it was a remake? Or, or are we just the ignorant ones here? Uh, let us know your thoughts. Instagram at Remakes Reboots Revivals is where you can hit us up. Facebook look for Remakes Reboots Revivals. We're also on YouTube. We're on Twitter at Remakes Podcast. You can email us remakes reboot survivals at gmail.com or you can call in and let your voice be heard and that number is 862-248-2326 that's 862-248-2326 and uh yeah i guess that'll that'll just about do it for today uh this was a fun one and definitely check out the movies guys um yeah and yeah it was really good if you haven't seen i love i know a lot of people are sitting on coda so i say go and watch it Oh yeah, no, Coda is definitely. I think it's it's under two hours. It's uh, you get to watch it at home, which is just like what a treat, what a joy. Eat some homemade popcorn. I know, I'm just I'm I'm, I'm poking fun at you, Nicole, here on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Ill homemade popcorn. Movie yeah, theater popcorn I've, is way better. No, it's always yes. over salty and like oily. I prefer. But that's how popcorn. you want it. Nah, I am all about just like popcorn that's just air popped and it's just like nice and like maybe throw a little bit of salt maybe a little bit of garlic powder mm. oh my gosh you need okay we need to end this here on that note stay, stay in original, original.